0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Wheelchair Activist. This is a podcast hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, where I interview some pretty amazing disabled people, as well as some amazing allies of the disabled community. Today, I'm so excited to be interviewing Vicki Foxcroft. Vicki Foxcroft is currently the Shadow Minister for Disabled People. She is also the MP for lewisham Deptford. I'm so excited to jump into this conversation with Vicki and learn about how she champions the rights of disabled people in Westminster.
1: The one thing that I've heard kind of time and time again is that people want to be seen for what they can do, not what they can't do. I kept asking the prime minister about British sign language interpretation at his press conferences and kind of, after the first time of me getting in and asking, I thought, it would just happen because it's, it's actually not that difficult to do and sort out. And then after my fourth time of asking and it still wasn't done, I just thought... And we really do need to diversify, you know, Parliament. I mean, you know, yes, in terms of disabled people, but actually also, you know, in terms of women, um, in terms of BAME representation and in terms of people from different backgrounds. So, you know, more working class people into Parliament.
0: Vicky, thank you so much for joining us on The Wheelchair Activists. I know how very, very busy you are, so I appreciate it so much that you've taken the time to talk to me today no
1: not at all thank you for inviting me on
0: um for people who don't know you or maybe sort of know you by name but don't understand fully what it is that you do would you mind sort of telling our listeners about you and what you do please
1: um yeah so my name's is Vicky Foxcroft, and I'm the member of parliament for Lewisham Deptford and I'm also the Shadow Minister for Disabled People, so I, you know, go to Parliament and um, you know represent people. I'm with the Labour Party, so unfortunately, we're not the government, but hopefully, we'll change that one day and we'll be in charge of everything.
0: And for people who don't know what the Shadow Minister for Disabled People is, can you tell us what does that role entail?
1: Um, Yeah, so I uh, shadow um, or, you know, kind of hold to account the the government's Minister for Disabled People. So we have opportunities to do that in Parliament. But also one of the things that I've done since taking on the role and that I think is really important is to hold a lot of um, roadshows across the country and the nations to make sure that i hear directly from disabled people and disabled people's organizations about what what their issues are you know now but also into the future and how we can really focus on having a more inclusive society where disabled people are at the
0: heart of it and i think for people who sort of may know your name vaguely what i find so interesting about the work that you've done is advocating for um, particularly during lockdowns and throughout the pandemic is from proxy voting in parliament. So not being sort of physically there, but still being able to carry out your role as an MP and vote in sort of, you know, key decisions. And I think that struck me as an initiative that, if it were to continue could encourage more disabled people to be MPs and should be more involved in government so could you tell us a little bit about that experience for you yeah and I, I think
1: your kind of points around you know parliament and its inaccessibility you know I mean we've got that one in terms of the buildings and getting around mm. actually in terms of the hours you know quite often we'll be sitting on a Monday so by sitting I mean in in parliament and voting and so forth but till like 10 p.m or later you know and Tuesday Wednesdays 7 p.m or later um, and by later sometimes I can mean one or two in the morning um, mm. and I think for everybody you know that's unpleasant, but if you have a disability that that impacts on you, you know, those are, you know, huge barriers in terms of participation. And during COVID, you know, in Parliament and actually across the country, we went and saw very quickly that things that weren't available to um, disabled people and other people actually, when they had to happen, they did happen. So I was able to contribute in Parliament remotely like this. I was, um, when it was allowed, Jacob Rees-Mogg was constantly trying to stop all of this, by the way. But I was able to contribute in debates, in um, questions, in statements. And the other thing, and this didn't last for very long, but we were able to vote remotely. And, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg kept saying stuff like, oh, if you're all outside sunning yourself while you're voting. She's just ridiculous. Like, I wasn't doing that. I was shielding. So I wasn't even allowed to go out and empty my bins during that process. So Mm. the idea I was outside sunning myself and actually I hadn't wanted to get back to, you know, kind of being out and about and seeing people in person and so forth was kind of for the fairies. But I think the serious point is, you know, that that things could be reformed to actually make Parliament more accessible Um, and sadly... um, All of that technology and stuff that that showed that that was possible, you know, hasn't been taken on board in the future. Um, And we really do need to diversify, you know, Parliament. I mean, you know, yes, in terms of disabled people, but actually also, you know, in terms of women, um, in terms of BAME representation and in terms of people from different backgrounds. So, you know, more working class people into Parliament.
0: I think that that's so crucial because the only way that we can expect our our government to reflect the population is for the government to reflect us as well. And having those voices and those different lived experiences in the room is crucial. And I suppose I'm really curious as to sort of how do you go about trying to bring disabled issues to the forefront in a time where there's so many conflicting priorities in government but why sort of how do you do that and why is it so important to you that you do that? I mean
1: you know you'll be acutely aware but you know we talk about the cost of living crisis you know which is affecting so many people but actually disabled people have an even increased, you know, cost of living crisis. You know, and we just saw in Parliament, you know, the extra funding that was, um, you know, uh, given, which is obviously welcomed, but actually for some disabled people, they were getting an extra £150, but then they were also losing the Warms Homes discount, which was worth, guess what, £150. So actually no increase at all and you know one of the things that I've found is ever since I've had this role so beforehand I thought I was good on you know disabled people's issues Mm. but actually I have constantly learned and in my engagement with disabled people listening to the barriers that are placed you know on a daily basis and having a government that you know really doesn't feel like it cares and really you know at times goes and uses quite a lot of spin around stuff um you know like the, the strategy for disabled people oh we've consulted with all these disabled people oh they're all happy with it I'm like okay well how come I haven't spoken to one person who's happy with it you know uh, kind of you know oh uh you know uh, when I had to push to get the Natsen report published, which was, um, you know, the, the real-life circumstances on how disabled people are coping financially. Oh, they're all fine. Oh, oh, right, your research says that they're not. Um, you know, and constantly, you know, just seeing, um, you know, the way that disabled people are treated by this government, and it's, you know, 20% of the population... <laughs> Um, And actually, if we get things better for disabled people, we're actually getting things better for the whole of society. And it's really, you know, I feel really passionate about it. And whether or not I have this role forever or not, you know, my experiences of meeting with and speaking with more disabled people than just in my constituency, which would have been kind of predominantly what I would have done beforehand, you know, has changed me and made me you know more and more passionate about making sure that we have to make sure your voices are heard in parliament you know and I hope one day that we have far greater representation in parliament on local councils um you know of disabled people because you know it's about having skin in the game isn't it you know and it's it's your life so you know it, you've got to be able to yeah. advocate for that.
0: Absolutely. And I think it will possibly shock a lot of listeners to this, knowing that there are only currently five disabled MPs and sort of that stark lack of representation is is something that really urgently needs to be addressed. So I suppose throughout your work and as you sort of mentioned your education on disability what would you say disability means to you
1: well you know
0: the one thing that I've
1: heard kind of time and time again is that people want to be seen for what they can do not what they can't do and actually it's the barriers that are placed in society that that stop um people being able to do certain things um and you know I think you know (sighs) To me, it really is just focusing on the amazing things that people can do um, uh, rather than that kind of, you know, negative way. Um, and, and seeing and seeing the positives out of doing that as well, um, you know, rather than thinking, oh, oh, that's really difficult, we're going to have to sort this or sort that, go, ah, oh, right, okay. When we do this, you know, This is what we get at the end of that. So I think, um, you know, to me, we really need to, you know, have a a positive view of what people can do and make sure that we, you know, shout and promote that a lot more and also say, you know, actually society's still got so much more to improve, but actually it's a society's You know, it's society's fault and it's society's responsibility to make sure that it does that.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, I'm sure you've heard about the social model of disability so, so much, but it's the barriers that society puts in place for disabled people that disables people. And I think when people are trying to think of what the potential solutions to some of those barriers, a lot of responsibility does get put on government, government officials to remove some of the barriers or to put in place legislation that will impact other people's ability to discriminate or put in place unfair policies. So I suppose my, you know, just on what you said about the, if we do things right by disabled people, it benefits so many others. And you know i I know I have mentioned this, but the virtual participation in Parliament was just something that really stood out to me as why is that not continuing because of you know people like yourself who were still shielding but you, it was proven that it can work and it did work and it did benefit so many people from from a safety perspective but also those who had particularly medical concerns around contracting COVID. But why is it, do you feel that that didn't continue? And what impact do you think that could have made if it did continue?
1: I mean, there were a lot of very traditional people in Parliament and Jacob Rees-Mogg, one I've already named, but actually they're in charge of, or, or he was in charge at the time in terms of what happens on that and so decided that that participation you know wouldn't continue um I think um you know like you know his argument not mine um was oh well you get more robust debates in parliament so when somebody's speaking you can have this thing called an intervention basically you interrupt them and then make a point in terms of what they're saying you know and he he was right in terms of that um not being you know not not being able to to continue um but there are you know kind of other ways and you just think like you know the late night voting you know does that does that really need to happen in that way mm. um and when people talk about you know kind of the bars and parliament and so forth you know like you know yeah so, in terms of like other potential kind of benefits and so forth, but um, I don't know, maybe when the decamp happens and, you know, there's new, you know, kind of things are done up, maybe some things um, will look to improve. But it's kind of, you know, what I was saying about representation as well. You know, I mean, you look at the House of Lords and that's better than the House of Commons in terms of disabled people's representation. But when they're there and things need to um, adapt and change, then they have to do it. But that's the reason why we need, you know, we, we do need, you know, better representation in Parliament.
0: I, I think that that's, that's a really good point about the number of members of the House of Lords who are disabled. I mean, you know, the names could sort of roll off the tongue of, you know, how many people there are who are doing amazing things on disability. but. I suppose so. In the comments at the minute, what do you feel are the biggest challenges for you as the shadow minister for disabled people when trying to put forward the issues faced by the disabled community? What's the biggest pushback that you're getting?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, probably the biggest challenge is not being in government, um, actually. Um, But also, you know, when you are in government, you operate with a really big civil service team around you. And when you're in opposition, um, you don't. Um, I think, um, you know, like the government have gone and done a strategy for disabled people. And it's been deemed illegal by the High Court. Mm. Raising this in Parliament, and then them just saying, oh, we're just ploughing ahead with it. You know, that's that's a really big challenge. But the reason why it's such a big challenge is because they're not listening to, they're not co-producing, you know, things with disabled people. So they're not, they're not getting it right. Um, so that's kind of the biggest challenge. But, you know, sadly, I don't, I actually don't think that, they're that bothered,
0: and I think that that's really it's it's not surprising for me to hear you say that. And but it is quite disheartening when there are you know campaigners and activists like myself who are outside of parliament trying to influence. But you saying that within parliament, yes, in the opposition, but trying to advocate for, as you say, twenty percent of the population and it's It's very frustrating, I think, to see government think of disabled people as this sort of other group that they will never be a member of when we know that you know disability can happen to anyone at any time, uh, you know, whether that's through an illness or an injury or you know anything that comes up throughout your life. This is a group that you can very easily go into. And it's really difficult to see government not take that seriously and not see these issues as impacting everyone at some point. And I think, you know, in terms of the national disability strategy, for people who sort of don't know about that, it was this strategy that was made by government just under a year ago that was sort of meant to be this all singing, all dancing. List of solutions for disabled people um, and some of the issues that we experience, and that issue now of that it is d- been ruled unlawful because they didn't properly consult with disabled people is really frustrating. You know, not just from my my own position as you know a policy influencer who was trying to, you know, sort of use that to our campaign an advantage. But how do you see the disability agenda going forward in Parliament now, where, you know, this document that was created, this strategy, isn't able to be relied on? Are you still holding government to account for the promises that it made in that? Or how is it how is it working?
1: Yeah so we we do these things in parliament called written parliamentary questions um and if anybody looks at mine they'll see there's literally thousands on each of the pledges within the strategy for disabled people um and where I'm not getting answers which you know, you might be shocked to hear that that happens quite a lot. I'm also submitting freedom of information requests on areas as well. So I am seeking to hold the government to account. One of the things that I find really shocking. So we kind of touched on COVID, you know, at the start. And um I kept asking the prime minister about British sign language interpretation. as press conferences and kind of after the first time of me getting in and asking, I thought, it would just happen because it's it's actually not that difficult to do Mm. and sort out and then after my fourth time of asking and it still wasn't done um and I went a bit kind of viral because I signed part of my question um and I just thought and then you look at all of government communications and the fact that they're not all in accessible formats and you know you look at the benefit system and in terms of accessible formats and you've got disabled people filling in things in the benefit system that aren't necessarily in their you know required accessible format Mm. this doesn't this doesn't make sense like surely this is like one of the most simpler aspects of things to be able to source out and then You know, kind of on that one example, in terms of things that makes um, something better for everybody in society, you know, put some of those humongous documents into easy reads. And actually, (laughs) it's better for us all. Like, I actually search out easy reads on so much stuff Mm. now because I'm like... Gosh, yeah, this is this is quite handy. I can get to the to the chase a bit quicker in terms of stuff, and it's just um, I don't know, but I'm like so. So when I kind of said about you know myself and a small team, you know, and uh, you know, we try really hard to make sure everything's accessible, and you know, we always ask people if there's um, you know uh, reasonable adjustments that are required or anything else. Um, And, you know, obviously I won't get everything right, you know, all of the time. But, you know, like now I do alt text on my images and and everything that we can kind of do in in areas where it's simple. But it's like you've got this huge civil service department. All you have to do is before anything goes out or online, pop it in the different accessible formats. Mm. And you just say nothing goes, nothing goes online unless it's in all of the accessible formats and available like that's it you know they could spend you know that like how many years were spent consulting consultant, um on the strategy for disabled people you know what to make sure they got it right but yet you know I, I know that stuff was available in accessible formats but actually kind of a lot of stuff from government isn't so anyway that's just me moaning
0: no I think that's all really interesting insight and you know on a a previous episode we spoke to Liam Odell, who was really trying to raise the profile of the lack of b s l interpreters at you know government briefings that everyone was glued to at the time, trying to figure out what you were allowed to do next week that you're not allowed to now, and you know it was it was crucial information and the lack of accessibility in that it was something that. Was just once you realized that it wasn't there, it was so difficult to not be enraged when you saw the next one and it still wasn't there. And I completely agree with, you know, the other accessible formats. I mean, it's, you know, in my capacity at the minute as a policy advisor for Scope, when I'm looking at children and young people's issues, the government have just sort of created more, work for themselves because we're looking at the send review and that they've had to postpone the deadline for responses on the send review because there wasn't an easy read and accessible version of it and you just think you're you're creating more work for yourself by not having that from the get-go when it is easy to use the tools that are available which are really great to make things accessible so it I definitely hear the, the frustration and I feel that very much as well and um, so when you've talked you mentioned about doing the road shows where you're sort of going out and really engaging with disabled people and disabled people's organizations what as sort of Struck you the most, or what was something that was the most surprising to you as an issue facing the community that you might not have been aware of? You weren't aware it was as serious as it is.
1: I don't know because we did them all last year as well, and that was you know in the middle of COVID. I mean, I guess I'm kind of saying sadly, um, not really surprised by anything now, mm. but knowing you know you know kind of knowing that it's everything you know it is housing and accessible housing it is transport and accessible transport and being able to get to work you know it is workplaces and providing you know reasonable adjustments making sure that access to work is um applied for you know it is you know you know it it is, you know, if you need to use the justice system, access to legal aid. I guess I guess kind of one of the areas is um that that I find shocking is um on disability hate crime. Um and uh, a lot of people don't speak to us in the roadshows about that. Actually I, I kind of get that information elsewhere because obviously people don't necessarily wanna speak in front of other people about that. But um kind of you know the poor process all Mm. the way through from you know the start of reporting and so forth um and kind of just I you know it it's just sad like and I'm almost like I can't I can't believe it but it's true um and and more needs to be done you know about making sure that that's addressed and that it is seen as a serious crime.
0: I think that that's really important and I completely agree it's not a topic that gets spoken a huge amount about when talking about disability issues but I think you know online abuse of disabled people is something that comes up a lot you know sort of in the circles that i'm in you know you can be be really open and vocal about um you know an issue that impacts you but then you have to weigh that up against the backlash that you may get and you know just from sort of my experience i wasn't necessarily the victim of a hate crime but i was very much worried about safety i was involved in an incident with the taxi driver who tried to overcharge me because I'm a wheelchair user and it ended up going to court and it was decided in my favor, um, you know, that that he did discriminate against me under the Equality Act. And there was, you know, very rightly news coverage around that. And I did various interviews and things, but then I got very worried when next time I was hailing a taxi was that going to be a driver who sided with the driver who discriminated against me? And, you know, sort of that very vulnerable situation that a lot of disabled people can find themselves in to be victims of a hate crime is is very real and needs to be talked about more. So I suppose for the next few months for you, sort of we talked about COVID and the impact that the government had on disabled people during that time and sort of ignoring the issues that we were experiencing. What would you say now are your priorities for disabled people? You touched on the cost of living, but sort of what What are you dedicating your focus on? Well, there's so many things
1: uh, at different times. So, you know, we've got the um, levelling up stuff going through um, Parliament. So I work with lots of our other teams in Parliament. Um, So, you know, kind of around the housing, you know, trying to push the government to make sure that the housing is accessible. You know, so part of what, what I kind of do is just, you know, get in with you know different teams in order to um make sure they're speaking with disabled people disabled people's organizations and make sure we're raising those issues in parliament um in terms of kind of bits of um legislation that's due to be coming to us you're going to have the terminal illness bill which basically extends the time uh from six months to 12 months um in terms of being eligible for that um, which is important and it's good that we've pushed the government to be able to get this. Um, We're also going to have stuff at some point in the future on the universal credit and the migration of um, you know all the legacy benefits across and so we're going to be pushing the government on a number of areas that we've got big concerns particularly around those being worse off, but also three months and, you know, the fact that you may lose your benefits if you've not um, done that application, you know, within that time, um, as, as well as, you know, there's, there's always constantly things, you know, kind of coming up to, to be raising in different areas, but I guess they're the ones that are coming up kind of the nearest at the moment. Oh, and as well as, You know, for people who are um, immunocompromised, you know, getting access to Evershield, um, which, you know, surprisingly, the government still haven't ordered, you know, any supplies of, um, which is, you know, really worrying, especially for those people who, you know, are still shielding. um, And, you know, they actually, you know, they know there's a drug, you know, out there that they could be taken and actually be getting back to some, you know, sense of normal for them.
0: I think that's so important because there are so many people who either do their conditions are immunocompromised or are on drugs that then make them immunocompromised when they're treating another condition. And so many disabled people are still very worried about going out and about um, and, you know, with, with no safety measures in place. So I think that those are all really important and on a constituency level, how do you go about addressing issues facing your disabled constituents? Do you have more control over what's able to happen and sort of what's been your experience of issues on that level?
1: Yeah, so what I uh, do um, surgeries and have caseworkers who work with us. Um, and, uh, the vast majority of, um, you know, kind of issues that are raised are actually around the benefit system. Um, and, uh, people either being sanctioned, um, or, uh, you know, their, um, PIP or universal credit, um, you know, not being at the right levels, um, having to do, um, you know, the mandatory reconsiderations and then, you know, appealing and actually getting it sorted at the end um, of all that. Um, we also have an issue um, you know, with uh, people um, you know, who's um, you know, not getting their um, immigration status um, sorted out um, and actually the impact that that has in terms of accessing the healthcare system, um, which is um, a really big issue and something we do um, a lot of work on. Um, obviously, um, we all know social care is really struggling. So at, at times we've got to do quite a bit of work in terms of writing to all of the different bits, local authority, NHS, et cetera, et cetera, try and pull things together to get um, uh, stuff sorted out there. Um, we've got an increase in terms of people with mental health conditions. So really trying to kind of push our local mental health providers around, you know, early intervention work. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so I kind of, I do a, a lot of meetings with the right organisations, but we also pursue a lot of people's personal um, cases as well. And they're kind of the main, you know, things that are coming um, up.
0: What would you say to a disabled person who might be listening to this, thinking that they may want to engage with their MP on a particular issue, you know, maybe let's take a more personal issue. How, what would your advice be to them if they think, oh, well, are there, is it worth it? Are they going to be able to do anything for me? You know, is it a course of action that you'd encourage?
1: Yeah definitely. Um, I I mean I have lots of disabled people who write to us and I say oh you need to contact your MP because I'm not your MP and we've not got the resources to be able to deal with everybody's and um, you know some have not had great experiences but I think the vast majority probably have and I probably get those who haven't had a good you know, experience, um, but yeah, I, you know, MPs. We can write in. We can, you know, uh, contact different people, and and quite often, where something isn't right, um, we can resolve it. Now, you know, it's in Parliament for us to argue around, you know, changing the laws and what happens. So let's just take um, train stations and the inaccessibility of them. You know, we, we can, you know, we can kind of try and champion on a local level, but actually we're fighting to try and get the funding from government. So I think I've got um, a couple of inaccessible stations still in my constituency, and and it's about getting that funding from government to be able to do something about that. Um, and we, you know, but on the personal circumstances, you know, definitely, definitely, you know, you can email your MPs, um, you know, you can just google them and get their details quite often they have phone lines that you can use and they'll also have surgeries where you can have appointments as well Um, and I say to some people who need an advocate to come with them to also bring their advocate in terms of the the surgery as well
0: I think it's really important that people are aware of those different avenues of engaging with their MP because I think a lot of people may view them as sort of this person who technically represents them and their community, but never has any engagement with, but they can really be of help to you in those individual circumstances, say, if you're trying to to challenge something on a local level. Um, and that's, that's a really important thing for people to know. And I suppose my next question is, around something we touched on a little bit earlier, but about that representation of disabled people in government. I'm aware that this is possibly a bit unfair, but if a disabled person was thinking that they might want to be an MP, but they don't know what does that job actually look like, I'm aware that that job could look very different to you, depending on what day it is, but what would you say are the main parts of your job or your day if you're trying to describe the role to someone.
1: Um yeah, you're right it is really difficult to go and explain. It's a bit like when I said about the hours on Mondays till 10 or later, you know, but but we we will be in parliament. Um we will uh, have the main chamber stuff which people can kind of see on on the telly. Um and we'll be debating lots of different issues in terms of stuff, but there's also other um areas of influencing stuff there's um uh select committees, there's all parliamentary party groups that do stuff um you know so there's lots of different ways in Parliament you can look to go and in, influence things, and then there's the constituency side of stuff so you know we all hold surgeries doesn't mean anybody's getting chopped up uh just uh you know constituents come and speak and meet with us, and you'll do other local things like visit schools um you know events so last weekend um you know it was a jubilee weekend, but also locally for us, we had a broccoli max festival, which is a celebration of arts. You know and you'll go around and you'll get to do all of that stuff. And I was offered an awful lot of cake of which I had to turn most of it down because I'm not supposed to put on um weight because of my rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but um I was quite tempted though. <laughs> um, but it's quite it's quite varied. But the thing that I would say that is the most important thing and for somebody, you know, like myself from a very working class background, I didn't get any A's to C's in my GCSEs. I went on, I did BTEC performing arts, so not A levels. And then bizarrely went to university. I had to do my English at night school and did drama and business. I was not somebody that you would have thought would be a politician in the future. And indeed, if anybody would have asked me, I'd have literally laughed your socks off because I just wouldn't have seen me doing that. Mm. But I am. And when I kind of do chats at schools and so forth, I always say to kids like, you know, do go for things. You know, it's not about what position you have. Right. And I really, really firmly believe this. I was a counsellor before I was MP. If you can't say what you're doing when you're doing that position, you probably shouldn't have the position. You know, so when I was a counsellor. You know, we did the Save Lewisham Hospital campaign. We made sure the council remained a living wage employer. Um, you won't know it, but Broccoli Cross Junction, I got three pedestrian crossings around there. Uh, you also won't know it, but Broccoli News, I made sure there was a community garden where there used to be loads of kind of, um, explosions from tires and so forth. You know, it's about what you're doing when you've got whatever your position. So then with that, it is also about doing it in your own way. So. I might not be or sound, you know, like some of the politicians in Parliament, but it's about, right, well, you're going to do this your own way. So, you know, where things aren't accessible, raise it, you know, in whatever way you want to do it, but just make sure that you keep doing it, you know, find your own way of influencing things. So when I was first elected, sadly we lost A lot of young people to youth violence and so I said the different committees and stuff that you could use and I didn't really kind of know how to do it so I didn't set up an all parliamentary party group but I set up the youth violence commission and we kind of did it in a very different way that isn't really using the parliamentary stuff confession partly because I didn't know what I was doing but also because I wanted to make sure that it was academically led and vigorous that we had young people at the heart of it and that it stood up economically. Because I knew instinctively that not investing in our young people had a greater cost downstream, but I had to prove it and we did it. Um, And that's what I mean in terms of kind of, you know, finding your own way and doing it in Mm. your own way and making your own alliances.
0: I think that that's so interesting how you went about doing it and I really love that doing it in your own way because you know for I I'm always saying this but disabled people can sometimes be the best problem solvers or the best creative thinkers because they have to think about how to do everyday things in a different way so I think that that could really resonate with people listening on how you can use whatever position you're in and change it to fit what you want. And I suppose my my last sort of big question is as a disabled person who might be, you know, trying to put forward a campaign or an issue that is impacting them and lots of other disabled people and they want to try and get it into, you know, their MP or, you know, sort of create bigger noise around it what advice or what tips would you give them on things to include that will make government listen and I'm aware that that's huge and that's really difficult to do but what tips would you give
1: um okay so uh this isn't necessarily coming from being Shadow Minister for Disabled People. It's coming from being an MP. Lewisham Speaking Up in my area um, is a fantastic organisation. And what they do when they um, lobby me is they um, bring the whole group um, and uh, present themselves rather than having somebody else speak for them. Do it in, um, you know, easy read formats um, you because know, there's there's a lot of people with learning disabilities and, um, and, you know, just hearing, you know, firsthand, you know, what's important. Um, and so I think kind of taking the issue there with as many people as you can get, you know, I try and go about it in a, you know, in a respectful way, put forward your case you know even if you can be frustrated with politicians at times and you know but but do it in a in a professional way um try and make sure there's some you know follow up so you know ask them what they're going to do or or go with some asks like can you table this written parliamentary question or can you write to the minister about this Or can you put forward, you know, a a private members bill on this, you know, but go, go and think about what the asks are from them. And then the other thing that I think is, um, you know, join up with other disabled people and disabled people's organizations, get them to do it in other areas with their MPs, meet and discuss and find out how you're all doing in terms of taking it forward because you know if you're there and you know you're not joined up and working out what the collective is wanting then you'll just have one mp doing one little bit of stuff whereas actually if you got 500 mps doing something that starts to make a bit of a difference
0: i think that that's really great advice and it rings so nicely with you know the advice that other people on this podcast have talked about which is you know reaching out to other members of the disabled community to talk about lived experiences and to get sort of that peer support but also trying to influence change you know connecting with activists on social media who you see are also talking about the issues that you care about or are affected by and working together. I think that's a really great advice. And yeah, I just want to say a huge thank you for joining me on this podcast and taking up so much of your time to talk to me and to talk to our disabled and non-disabled listeners about what the amazing work that you're doing as shadow minister for disabled people
1: no, thank you for having
0: us on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wheelchair Activist with Vicki Foxcroft. I learned so much about what the Shadow Minister for Disabled People does on a day-to-day basis, and it's great to know that we have an advocate like Vicky championing our rights in Westminster. Before you go, I want to remind you that we do have a GoFundMe set up for this podcast. We are 100% committed to accessibility here at The Realtor Activist, and we want to make sure that every bit of content is inclusive and accessible to all. Every donation allows us to continue doing this work, which includes captioning each and every episode and making it available on YouTube. Thank you so, so much to everyone who has donated so far and has allowed us to continue making this amazing podcast. Please give this podcast a share far and wide so everyone can enjoy the amazing content. This podcast has been hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, produced by me and Isabel Anderson, and edited by Joe Tapper. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to see you in the next one.